The European Patent Office podcasts bring you an insight into the technology and innovation shaping the world. Hello and welcome to this podcast from the European Patent Office in which we will be discussing smart urban mobility. The current production delays caused by shortages of semiconductor chips prove just how much our cars have become computers on wheels. The automotive and ICT industries are converging, and patent applications to the EPO both for transport and digital technologies grew significantly last year, as revealed in our patent index for 2021. I've been digging into these latest statistics to see what they reveal about the future of mobility in our cities. My name is Jeremy Philpot, and I work in communication at the European Patent Office. Joining me today are two experienced patent examiners in the field of transport. First up, we have Rupert Plank, who started his career in 1993 as a patent attorney representing automotive suppliers. He joined the EPO over 20 years ago and is currently active in the fields of vehicle control and autonomous driving. Welcome, Rupert. Hello, Jeremy. I'm happy to be here. And also joining us is Patrick Pacheka. Patrick studied automotive engineering before going to work at Volkswagen in the Autonomous Vehicles Research Department. He came to join the EPO over six years ago and is mainly working on navigation systems, amongst other things. Welcome, Patrick. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, Rupert. Thanks for having me. Well, it's good to have you both. I'm just reflecting on two years of lockdown, uh, the impact of the pandemic. I don't remember the last time I drove a car. Uh, are we getting out of the habit of driving cars? And I think commuting patterns are, are changing. Uh, well, Jeremy, I'm, I'm not sure that we all have the luxury to not commute. Many people out there still commute. And the, the amount of time they spend in their cars is uh, still immense. The average commuting time in, in Europe is a bit more than one hour there and back. Oof. And in addition, we have the, the traffic jams. So roughly on average, I venture to say you, you lose some 300 hours every year. It's more than seven weeks of work. You lose them just sitting in your car waiting to get from point A to point B. I agree with Rupert here. I also see that we will continue spending a lot of time in our cars. Uh, I would say that this is one of the main drivers also be behind the development of autonomous vehicles. This idea to, to allow the driver to become a passenger and to actually make use of their time then. Yeah, yeah. But interestingly, you run into some problems then because if you've ever been driven as a passenger along a curvy road, you're probably familiar with the problem of nausea or motion sickness. That, of course, is further exacerbated when you're trying to do something else. Let's say you're trying to read while driving or while being driven, rather. That never worked. Yeah, I'm a shockingly bad passenger. Um, <laughs> and even as a child, I used to get terrible motion sickness. Um, my dad used to keep a bucket on the back seat of the car. So yeah, if autonomous driving turns us all into passengers, motion sickness is going to be uh, one of the things that we're going to have to deal with. Uh, maybe it's something for the pharmaceutical industry to respond to. Uh, <laughs> Either that, or there's actually a more elegant technical solution here that gets more to the root of the problem. Uh -huh. And this is a route planning that takes into account the expected motion sickness along particular road segments. Um, that means that your autonomous vehicle might in the end not take that beautiful curvy road, but would then allow you to read while you're being driven. Right, so the mapping feature is going to tell the car which is the most puke-free route. Uh, <laughs> That's it, <take>. exactly. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> 
<laughs> so look, I was uh, I was looking at the latest uh, statistics that have come out of the patent index for 2021, and it's encouraging because the transport sector, in terms of patent filings, the previous year, the first year of the pandemic absolutely tanked. The, uh, transport was badly down. But a lot a lot of that was driven by reductions in filings in uh, the aviation sector. But transport has come back with a vengeance at about 4.5%. But some of the digital technologies are up over 9%, so more than double. So I'm certainly seeing that the technology areas that are most relevant for smart urban mobility all seem to be thriving in 2021. I believe we see an interaction between those areas because transporting people or goods from point A to point B is just part of the story. You also need to arrange for that transport. You want to do this as efficient uh, in terms of time, money, energy, pollution. You want to do this as efficient as possible. And to do that, you need a lot of communication data exchange, these drivers in, in both areas makes perfect sense to me. And on top of that, you see that this this domain is not only covered by the traditional car makers, the car making industry, but you see a lot of tech companies that joined this field. So we have applications from, from different companies from both the uh, traditional automotive sector, but also from telecom and computer industry. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they kicked in. Um, this is a merge. We've seen that in, in other areas as well, that suddenly you can tackle a pro problem from two points, from two edges, and then companies active in both edges jump on it. True. Another thing I noticed is that the, the automotive suppliers, they are broadening the expense for what they are filing. Previously, they wanted patents to cover the parts they provide. And now they go really for the whole car, like trajectory planning, surroundings modeling. You would not expect to do an automotive supplier that because that's part normally of the car manufacturer. Thank you for that, because that's not something that had necessarily jumped out at me from a cursory look at the patent index, because we've got these automotive suppliers who sit in this spot in between, like Valeo is a, is a classic one that I know. You know. They're providing components. You don't see a car driving down the street with Valeo branding on the outside, but it's a lot of their technology that, that's inside it, as one example. And another one is the um, Mobileye, yes. yeah. which is uh, a technology that we featured in the European Inventor Award in, in 2019. There's single camera lens with a load of image recognition and artificial intelligence behind it that's detecting how close am I to the vehicle in front, what's our speed relative to their speed, do I need to be braking, and so on. Yeah, Jeremy, that's, that's, that's just the point I meant. Yeah. They provide the camera, and still they, they go and say, now the vehicle in which my camera is installed has to brake or has to change lanes. And that is really a new twist because they do much more than just provide the camera. They take control of the vehicle. That's a pretty cool idea in terms of patterns, I want you to say. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. We also see some applicants I would not have expected to see. And therefore, for me, that was a bit surprising from the um, consumer electronics area, to mention Panasonic, for example. No idea how they come in. I did not dig down in the numbers so much in detail. It could be linked to the mobile phones. It could be linked to the displays you have on the vehicles. Yeah, that they just broadened it a bit. Yeah, I, I, Panasonic was a little bit of a surprise for me. So it, it would be worth exploring that as to how, how they're getting involved in vehicle tech. Actually, another field that is growing remarkably, and this is uh, the aspect of creating and updating map data. 
we see a lot of applications there. And this is for classical navigation systems. You need little more than a graph with nodes and edges that represents your road network. And then you run an algorithm to find the shortest path or a fastest path. But that, of course, for autonomous driving or for advanced driver assistance system, that is not enough. There you need maps with a much higher level of detail that include information such as lane level details that include landmarks. We do even see maps that include three-dimensional point cloud data. They have to be ever more precise and up to date so that they do not only reflect the changes in the road network, but also indicate current road conditions. For instance, areas that are already known to be problematic for automatic driving. And how would you inform the driver about all that? I mean, you, we're talking, Patrick, we're talking about a lot of information. Is that all in the background? Or is this somehow presented to the driver? A lot of this is just the fundamental basics of the autonomous driving. So this is the, the basis for navigation and trajectory planning. So that doesn't necessarily uh, involve a direct output to the driver. So this map data is evidently required for navigation of autonomous vehicles and for trajectory planning for control. And you also need to know in advance where you will be able to drive autonomously and where you will not. Because right now, if we're talking about autonomy level three, so we're talking about the automation of lateral and longitudinal control, but not permanently, then we still need to know ahead of time when to ask the driver to take over control. Yeah, otherwise, Patrick, you really run into the risk of the nasty surprise that the driver just opened the newspaper, <laughs> poured himself a cup of coffee, and then hands are full, and suddenly you have to grab the wheel. Yeah, we call that handover process. Yeah, you, you hand over the responsibility for driving from the car to somebody who is in the car. At that point in time, that person is, of course, not a driver. And you, you need to see, how is this person seated in the car? Where are the hands? Where are the feet? Where's the attention? And then you do something fancy like flashing something, which may not be enough if you read a newspaper. Yeah? So you would vibrate the seats because that normally gets the attention of the people if they have the feeling they are falling down. Some sort of Alexa assistant that's shouting at you saying, wake up, you're taking control in another 200 meters. Yeah, Something like that, yeah. <laughs> and uh, there are some clever algorithms trying to predict how much time you need to take control. Now, if you ever were asleep in a car, not as driver, as the passenger, of course, yeah, and then you wake up, and how many seconds does it take until you really know what's going on? Is it one second, two seconds, five seconds? So that could be an issue. Yeah, that's a question of situational awareness here. The question is, how much time will it take you to get back to the situation to be able to evaluate properly? And I think potentially more and more people are going to get out of the practice of driving. The more and more they rely on autonomous, I, I think maybe their skill sets are going to go quite dull because they're not driving often enough. In fact, this is this is something else that I, I wanted to explore with you both. Ultimately, are we looking at an era when drivers actually become redundant? And I'm particularly thinking about uh, taxi drivers, for example. You know, you're going to just be able to use a smartphone app and have a, an autonomous vehicle come to your door. You get in, you you type in you know, your destination and off it goes. The whole thing effectively done robotically. Well, that still doesn't solve the entire problem, I would say. Because the general problem is I want to go from A to B. 
And imagine I'm in my uh, office room on the 24th floor of the EPO building in The Hague, and I'm calling a, a Uber or let's say robo taxi. Well, my journey will start there, although my taxi ride will start somewhere outside. So um, there is a need to agree on a pickup location. And this is interestingly, this is something wh what I see in some patent applications that do not solely focus on the the driving on the driving aspect on providing navigation to a driver, but they start earlier. So they start at the point where the future passenger actually indicates where he wants to go, and they address some basic questions like, where shall I pick you up? And in, that in, in a technical way. For example, one technical solution I've come across is to automatically identify a landmark in the vicinity. So let's say a particular building that is well-known or well-identifiable, and to display a street-level image of that building on your smartphone so that you know immediately that you see where you're actually supposed to go, where your pickup location will be. In a human interaction, you say, pick me up outside the post office, pick me up outside the pub. That's it. And this is exactly wow. the automation of that process to facilitate this, the entire process and the, the task of, of getting me from A to B. And this is more than just the trajectory. It, it's something before as well. It's before and it's also... I would say it's even a step further, Patrick, because you mentioned a pickup location. True. But you need to somehow have a car which is close. And then we are talking, I pick you up in five minutes, I pick you up in 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Are you okay with a ride sharing with I do not know whom? And that, that, that thing then suddenly collects to some social media, realizes a friend of yours is hitching a hike to a similar destination and then gets that car to pick you up. Very good. Yeah. Uh, to, to give you some company on the road. <laughs> yes, Rupert. And it's also the aggregation of passengers. I mean, the entire idea of ride sharing is to make it as efficient as possible. And that would involve to aggregate passengers that have similar routes. And uh, all this is part of these applications of these technical solutions to match the ride requests with the ride providers here. Can I briefly bring us to uh, some of the some of the, the really lightweight stuff? These e-scooters that are clogging up the pavements all over the place that are also for for sharing and that you can book on a smartphone app. Uh, applications for that have been steadily coming through to the EPO in in the last few years. Um, not just the technology in the scooters, but the the, the apps that that operate the the sharing in them. What what else do we see here? Yeah, Jeremy, this is. Is, is not all about cars. You're right, these rental bikes and all these street scooters, they sprang up like mushrooms. And there is a lot of interesting technology here. Think of the e-bikes with anti-lock braking systems. Um, now that you have a source of energy in your bike, there's a lot more that you can actually do with it. Um, just like ABS systems in cars, they will modulate the pressure in the front brake in order to avoid the wheel lockup. And also in the navigation domain, we have some interesting trends there. To give you an example, there are applications that propose the use of haptic output of navigation instructions, which means... Well, well what's, what's haptics? Haptics, this is everything that uh, relates to the sense of touch. So instead of using the display to provide the information visually or using a speaker to provide some sound, you would integrate some uh, vibrating elements 
for example, in the, into the handlebars or into the brake levers, or what I've even seen is into some smart garments, uh, that will, vibration will tell you where to go instead of this output on the display or by the speaker. Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds cool, but some of the roads I ride are pretty bumpy. Oh, yeah, I get a lot of vibration already, and it hasn't got any haptic technology in it. <laughs> True. I guess gloves wouldn't help either. You, you, you see, Jeremy and Patrick, that the point with the haptic is it's a very cool technology because it really goes directly to the brain. If it's vibrating, you're nervous immediately. But it's very difficult to actually find out what this is about to signal because if the handlebar is vibrating, it could just be a flat tire. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> you get all the shocks directly. <laughs> no? But I guess your handlebar wouldn't just vibrate on the right side if you have a flat tire on your bike. Uh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but while we're on those, those lighter vehicles, there's, there's another point I'd like to bring up, and that is... Uh, transportation of goods. So far, we, we talked about persons, but also we have an enormous amount of goods which are delivered every day. Mm. And part of that is, of course, the huge stuff, the trains, the trucks, but the last mile to the customer or from the, let's say, the small shop producing your dedicated sneaker, whatever, you need to cover that part as well. The bit between depot and end point or start point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so far, most of that is done by humans. They park their cars at the edge of the road. They cause traffic jams. We lose a lot of time. And there, something is also up in the pipeline. For the, let's say, for the cheap stuff, it's a small mobile robot driving normally on the pavement, about the size of a baby, uh, what's called a pram. That's about the size they have, also the hate. And they would deliver it ideally to, to your home. And if you're not at home, it will have some difficulties in getting the parcel into your mailbox. So yeah. they will likely deposit it at some central station. Yeah. Or with digital stuff, maybe you could even schedule appointments with that robot that you say, if you come before 8 a.m., meet me at home. If it's around 10, meet me at the coffee at the corner. Very Something good. like that. Yeah, Rupert. And part of these logistics don't take place on the road, but they are indoors. And indoor localization also comes with some very specific problems. So you cannot just rely on GPS because it's just not available. And often you cannot even rely on your compass because of some ferromagnetic structures within those buildings. What I find fascinating is that all these disturbances of the earth magnetic field that make your compass go crazy, mm -hmm. they are not arbitrary, but they actually depend on where you are within the building. So you can map them. Ah. Wow. And when you're walking along the corridor and track all these changes of the magnetic field along your path, this what we call magnetic fingerprint or magnetic signature, you can use it to find out where you are, not only despite these disturbances, but because of them. Wow. That's pretty cool. Wow. That's some of the stuff that you find out from working navigation systems. Indeed. In the navigation is also a large part. Yeah. Listen, uh, whilst, whilst we're talking about stuff that's cool, what technologies do we not yet have? Either you see them coming along in the applications on your desk or, or stuff you'd like to see in the future? I love to see any kind of innovation that makes traveling easier mm. in general, but in particular, all those smart solutions that help people with reduced mobility or the technology that offers autonomy to people with impairments. I'd really wish to see more of that on my desk. Yeah. Very good. I think about elderly people. I mean, I think about, about my mum. And if autonomous driving can keep her mobile, 
even though mm-hmm. um, she's now finding it. I mean, her eyesight is good, but she finds driving just tiring. It exhausts her. She's, yeah. not, she's an old lady. So, And there's a lot of different solutions. It's not just the autonomous vehicles that keep people mobile who cannot drive anymore, mm. but it's also indoor navigation system using uh, some audio beacons that can uh, emit sound clues and actually by doing this have the visually impaired to find their way. It's interesting. My, my thoughts, uh, Jeremy, are running a bit in the same direction. They say, I want to have a bit more freedom of movement. And for me, that also means I could, for example, commute with an autonomous vehicle. And that means I no longer have to live relatively close to my place of work. Because one hour commute, if I can do a comfortable breakfast in there or have a ride sharing with someone and have a nice chat, that really broadens the scope where people could live. And that would be a nice thing, actually. Take a bit of the pressure out of those big cities. I agree. I agree. I mean, the pandemic has shown us just how much we can all do working from home. My goodness, look at the time. Got to bring things to a close. I'm really sorry, but it's been great fun chatting with both of you. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you out there for listening. The EPO publishes fresh podcasts every week on new technologies, studies into the economic impact of patents, as well as advice for innovators. So listen out for more podcasts soon, including two others inspired by the Patent Index 2021 and the trends that it reveals. But for today, from Rupert, Patrick, and myself, it's goodbye. Servus. Und bis bald. Goodbye, everyone. Subscribe to the European Patent Office's podcast channel, Talk Innovation, at epo.org or on your favorite podcast platform. Let's talk innovation.